no chance. What's up, everybody? Episode 80 of the No Chance Radio Show. As always, your hosts, Ryan and Nate. And we appreciate you guys listening to us today. We are back with another episode of Random Streetwear Topics and just, you know, cultural shit. (laughs) And like, you know, 80 is a big number, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I want to get into this first before we get into any logistics with with anything. but 80 is damn near close to 100, 80 weeks, consistent weeks. Uh, I don't know what habit I've held for 80 weeks straight other than... I can think of one. Probably breathing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but what has been... And let's, let's go all the way back. Let's do a retrospect real quick. What has been your favorite episode to date and why? I'm not going first. Nate, you go first. Uh, fuck. Definitely one of the first ones. Uh, okay, I'll do like a top three. Okay, yeah, that's in, fine. In no particular order. I really like the How to Build Your Brand one. That yep. is like one of my all-time favorite ones. Uh, the No Girls Allowed one was also really good. And there's a third one that's escaping me. And then one of the earlier ones, I'm not sure if it was the very first one. I think it might have been the very first like official episode we put out. It was the like authenticity, like the very first authenticity one that we threw out there. Where we did like a bunch of takes, like that episode. Yeah, or that was episode. it like a further down? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I, I would agree with you on the on the on the um, how to build a brand. That that one was such a random day. It was yeah. raining, and we kind of just were like, yo, like it's about to be the new year. Let's do something that kind of like inspires people that's when we really got into like what we want to do with this podcast i think so that's why it stands like at number one for me um but yeah that's my number one yeah i don't have a top three that's my number one what about you melanie um i do like how to build your brand i also like the interview with your brother jason really shout out to jaded course <laughs> shout out to jason but yeah you to hear like how like he built his brand and like his come up and it's like you know it's like in the family, so it's cool. I also thought like our Oh My Gosha one was fun to record. That was fun. <laughs> oh yeah, that I was feel a good I one. felt like we, that was our first sort of introduction into like polarizing topics. Yeah. And where we had to kind of like step out of our comfort zone to speak on something that was slightly qu- or extremely questionable. <laughs> um, but yeah, like to your point, those are those are great episodes and kind of you know what we want to get into in today's uh, episode and kind of something that Nate spoke on as well as Melanie in regards to building a brand, uh, doing it yourself. That's going to be the theme for today's episode as we cover things along the lines of, well, people that are very influential in that DIY space like Sean Weatherspoon, Joshua Vides, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, and just the DIY culture that's really prominent in streetwear today, essentially holding up a a different dynamic of what streetwear is, something that's sustainable and something that a lot of people believe in. So let's get into that first topic, which is Sean Weatherspoon. I listened to the Hype Beast Radio interview. Uh, Nate, did you have a chance to listen? Yeah, you I'm actually put us on to it, to you, um, to you. <laughs> which I was like really excited about because um, obviously Sean Weatherspoon is... I'm not going to say God, but he is he's one of the most revered people of 2018 uh, this following year in terms of his influence on streetwear. Melanie, you didn't have a chance to listen to it, but that's okay because 
we've all been talking about Sean for the past year, two years. Um, what are your, what's your sort of first um, recollection of being introduced to him? I just think like hearing about round two and what he's been doing with like how he took vintage and kind of like made it hip again, I guess. Like vintage has always been like a thing, especially in San Francisco, but to kind of see everyone all over the country kind of take their like their vintage take and like make it their own style. It's been very interesting and people always coin like vintage or retro with Sean Witherspoon now. So it's like it's kind of he's kind of like an icon, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of weird, sense. right? You think vintage and you think of Sean yeah. and like his his um fucking world or like masterpiece of building round two um what about you nate in terms of like sean and like what round two has done um i think my first initial like introduction to sean in round two i think it was uh yeah it was definitely when we all still worked at nike yeah i think we were in we were in the marketing office one day and i don't know you weren't there for some reason i remember someone random was on your computer like looking stuff up oh shit (laughs) (laughs) it might have been me (laughs) now someone was looking at like the round two web store which doesn't exist anymore yeah um and then i was like yo what is this this is kind of crazy even though they don't really post that much of like their good stuff it just all says sold out and never never refreshed and i was like what is this and then i don't know who put me on but they're like oh it's round two it's a store oh they have like vintage streetwear like contemporary streetwear yeah that's kind of sick yeah um and then ever since then, I think it's just been kind of like a snowball effect. Of course, you've heard about round two in all of like the major like streetwear publications like Hypebeast, High Snobiety, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then obviously like on Instagram, YouTube, things like that. And also uh, fucking thrifting too. Like yeah. what I mean, you used to thrift. Yeah. Um, we didn't know at, at the time when we first started thrifting like heavy, we didn't ever think like, Oh, let's go! Like, like, let's save all this to go, to bring it to round two. Yeah. Our first inclination when we were thrifting was, let's go to the fucking Rose Bowl and sell this stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, like that follows like sort of my first introduction in, into Sean and what round two has done, just off based off of that that store and the show. Like searching on YouTube and like looking up like the newest like streetwear shows or anybody documenting streetwear. Round two comes up and it's like what the fuck is this? Obviously it's produced amazing. Like yeah. it's like a full on, like it looks like you're watching the real world. Like <laughs> I feel like that's the dy- dynamic when you're watching that show, but obvious and uh, it goes into this world of what does your typical boutique streetwear store experience on a day to day basis. But the people that are attached to that store, they know so much about their product and they know the history and the heritage and it doesn't matter who it is that's checking anybody out or doing some sort of buy sell trade. They know what year, you know, who wore what and why this is popular. And they were like low key, like the, some of the first like streetwear historians <laughs> that I was ever like really introduced to. Like most people are consumers, most people are 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 makers. But Sean is a curator. He's a yeah essentially like a streetwear historian like i think the the one thing that stood out the most was like in that their first store in virginia it was like this whole wall of just jordan shit like every og jordan one and like jordan poster and like space jam thing and i was like damn you really gotta be into this as like not only a collector 
or a curator or just a, a sneakerhead to go to dive this deep into this like world. You know what I mean? Um, so let's take it into the actual interview, which was on Hypebeast Radio, one of our favorite like places to listen to essentially the business side of what a lot of these brand owners and uh, creatives sort of uh, speak about their endeavors. In this one in particular, the first question that Jeff asks Sean is, what are you? Are you a, a sneaker collector? Are you a hoarder? <laughs> are you a curator? And he really didn't have an answer for it. And I think that starts with just having an affinity for the product. What do you guys think? I mean, what it, in terms of Sean, would you categorize him as any of those things based off of his sort of response and like what he thinks he is as just a person that appreciates cool stuff? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I think he definitely checks all of those boxes. Yeah. I, I don't think he's limited to those those titles or whatever you want to call them. But um, I think at his core, he's just someone who appreciates you know, things that resonate with him, whether it's Nike, whether it's this, whether it's that. Um, I think he, he's just, he, he kind of touched on it a little bit. He's just one of those things where he finds something he likes and he just obsesses over it, you know? Um, and I think that's when people, when you pose that question to me, I think that's how I would describe him as someone who obsesses over something has like, finds that passion for that one thing or multiple things and just like, it never, it never ends for him. And this is a question for all of us. When's the last time we obsessed over something that turned into something amazing? You know what I mean? Like, obsessions only go so far. Like, to what extent does, for example, he, his, his background lives in the world of, of skateboarding, and skateboarding introduces him into clothes, and clothes introduces him into streetwear. Kind of like the fairy tale of how most people come across streetwear in that transition. But for us... It doesn't like it doesn't work like that for the normal person. I feel like there's something in in, in a a collector, a hoarder's, um, an obsessor's brain that says you're gonna live, sleep, and breathe and eat this shit, and you're gonna love it. And I don't think I have anything that is like that. Like I feel like it's a very specific type of person to obsess to that extent. You know what I mean? And just off of based off of his history of that just sort of transgression into skateboarding into finding clothes. And I'm not going to provide you guys with the spark notes version of this interview. I suggest you guys all go listen to it, but essentially that's what turns into the first round two store. It's collecting all of these clothes and finding the history of what he thinks is cool. And then for basically saying like, yo, like my friends are looking for things like this and I have it. And that's essentially how it starts. Right. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people get it confused with, the way he explains it is that he wasn't collecting this stuff initially to start a store. It was just the way he described it was that this was all stuff from their personal closets. You yeah, know? the closet aspect. Yeah, yeah, and they wanted to be able to like share that with other people, um, not necessarily just to collect stuff just just solely for the purpose of reselling. You know. Yeah. Um, so I mean that that kind of says a lot about who Sean is as a person. And who he is as like a curator, collector, hoarder, whatever you want to call him, you know. And it's just a natural progression, right? At first, it's simply I'm collecting this stuff because I fuck with it, which is how a lot of people in streetwear traditionally were. It was because I like that 
because I personally like that. Like, I don't, there aren't no outside entities that are telling me to like this thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the golden era, mid 2000s of where streetwear lies, there weren't as many outside influences or publications at the time to tell you, you should be liking this. This is what the fa- your celebrities and influencers are wearing because that didn't exist. It was just, here's a product. Typically, that's why tier zero was a thing, but here's a product. If you guys fuck with it, then buy it. If not, then buy what you like. And that's essentially how this foundation begins. And have you guys like been to a round two store before? Yeah. Yes. What's your, what's the like sort of experience you have when going in there compared to like your typical streetwear boutique store that sells, you know, like your favorite brands, even though it's like the same thing. But what are your mm-hmm. what is your like reaction like your first time going in there? There's a lot of hidden gems in that store. Um, walking in, it's kind of like what is this place, you know, like, what do they have? You see a lot of, like, a mix of, like, you know, Supreme and Bape, but you also see, like, the vintage Ralph Lauren and stuff. There's, like, a whole, I don't know if they changed, like, the Melrose store. I've only been to that one, but they have, like, two. So they have, like, the more consignment shop Mm -hmm. and, like, the strictly vintage store. And in the vintage one, I feel like it's, it's very nostalgic to me just because it's, like, a lot of things you see growing up, like, you see other people wear, um, and it kind of brings back good memories of like, oh, like I used to have that or my it's dad nostalgic. used to wear that. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. What about you? Um, I like round two. I, to be honest, like I, I think sometimes it just gets too packed for my taste. Yeah. It's I'm a little like, overwhelming Fuck. sometimes. Yeah. Like when, uh, this past trip to New York, when we went there, there's like a hundred people in there. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, I, I can't even like look through this. Look in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I get it. It's a really popular store, but, um. I think round two, oh, dude, I love their designer section. So yes. underpriced. Very so slept, slept on. on. I copped like two things from like Raph Simmons there for like under $200. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Completely underpriced. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so super good. Uh, some really good steals. I, to be, to be honest, I don't really, I don't really like the vintage store. It's just, and it's nothing against them. It's just I'm super impatient. Like yeah. I'm, I'm at that point where when I shop, I just I don't have the patience to pick through. You kind of know what things. you want already, or exactly. like what you exactly. You're looking to but add. I I get it. Like it's it's supposed to be like that. That's the experience. Yeah. The part that that's the part that they're trying to get after is that you know you have to kind of dig to find what you want to find those hidden gems. Yeah. But and this is not the first store that we've seen built around this business model of buy sell trade consignment things like that. Right. Like. From the early days, we've known Vintage Kicks, a.k.a. Flight Club, to be like one of the biggest purveyors of consignment. These are shoes that if we have a connect in in China and they bring it to us and you're in New York who've, and you're a person who've never decided to go to China or do, doesn't have access to it, you just come here and buy it. You know what I mean? At a price or a premium. But this is what you get. And this is um, that kind of business model all, always existed. They even used to sell like like clothes and like Supreme in, in like flight club. And a lot of these consignment stores do, but what is it about this particular one compared to the five or so ones that have popped up in San Francisco fairly recently or the millions of vintage resale consignment shops in LA? Like what makes this stand out? One, I think it's, like we always talk about, it's the experience. Yeah. Um, I think the people, like we, like you said earlier, the people who are behind round two, I think that 
you can definitely see when talking to them in person or even just seeing them talk like on their uh, episodes on YouTube or whatever, they're really genuine and they really do have like an appreciation for what these like pieces of clothing, shoes, what they are and what they kind of like the meaning behind them, the storytelling behind them. So I think that that's what people really, that's what people are really attracted to. Yeah. That's what they find appealing. Um, and I think that, I don't know. It's just like, we talked about this before, you know, I asked, I asked you this question. I said, do you think that this business model will, you know, go extinct? And, you know, I kind of thought about it and I almost answered my own question that there's always going to be something that's cool and people are going to want it, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether it's Supreme 10 years from now or something completely different, uh, I think the business model works, you know? So, yeah. And cool's based off of, essentially insecurities you know what i mean then <laughs> yeah. as, as long as that exists people are going to bring whatever is hot to that store whether the next new fit like the next new fad is like for example virgil's off-white and ikea collection that's rugs and house furniture like that's going to be resold at at round two like that's a guaranteed like flip but how many people are actually into that shit you know what i mean is that what's is that what's going to be cool now like do i not give a shit about the fucking um, Nike uh, 10 collection. And now I just focus on like all this furniture and shit. Like who knows what the next new wave is. And, but they're always going to be able to capitalize off of that because not only are they knowledgeable about it, but they are now like actual like leaders in this industry to tell you like, that's cool or that's not cool. And it's so crazy that the, that business model is able to succeed. Like there's a lot of places around here that have that same business model. But I think with the use of like, obviously the show and making them damn near celebrities, mm -hmm. it, it just pushes it even farther. And that's kind of what we want to get into in this episode is that's a concept that is very do it yourself. You know what I mean? Like selling shirts to your, selling clothes, to your friends or, um, flipping stuff like sneaker reselling, it's very, it is do it yourself because there is no middleman involved and you're kind of establishing a brand, a name for yourself. And we've seen the likes of a lot of kids and a lot of brands essentially do that and, and make some like a really amazing shit. And so, round two, even though they may not be the first people to ever do it, like obviously, there's streetwear brands that have done it themselves. They're, you know, streetwear they're run by like people within the world of streetwear. It's not just some outside company saying like, how can we capitalize off this? It's just, we love streetwear. We're going to start printing t-shirts and that's, that's still do it yourself. And there's something behind that, right? The, the concept of doing it yourself, there's certain characteristics that you have to have to, to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you think that those are like in terms of how you have to think as a creator, as a, producer as a designer whatever like when it comes to doing it yourself I think you just have to have that mindset of like I want it I'm gonna go get it yeah you know like you already have the vision in mind like what do I need to do from get to like point a to b like how do I actually put my ideas into like a product so just having that like I guess hustle mentality is really important to be like a do it yourself because if not, like you're just gonna have all these like thoughts in your head and like nowhere to actually do it. So Yeah, agreed. I think just sort of whenever there's like an outside energy sort of pushing you to do something, 
it kind of takes away from like, yo, you're not really doing it yourself. You know what I mean? Like that hustle mentality is like integral to making something for yourself. And I think that kind of speaks like what we do, right? Like there's nobody telling us to stick to a schedule of putting out an episode every week. There's nobody telling us that we should be marketing or promoting ourselves. It's this is necessary for us to be who we are and we're obviously killing it not to toot our own horn, but like (laughs) that's just what we do. And getting into the next subject for this episode is Joshua Vides. I'm just going to, I'm sorry I'm butchering your name, dude, but like, uh, I'm sorry, Vides, I'm going to say Vides. Um, He's another prime example of this do-it-yourself movement. Everybody knows him for his reality to idea art concept which if you've ever seen it it's basically how would you describe it just out outlining three-dimensional items okay hold like, on ha- me, yeah have you ever seen that one spongebob episode with, oh, no. uh, doodle bob <laughs> <laughs> yes i've seen that okay if you're not if you guys don't know what i'm talking about google that real quick google doodle bob essentially and then look up rea- reality to idea <laughs> yeah. And compare the two. Yeah. And you'll see the correlation. But it's basically taking like three dimensional art and simplifying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as like this whole black and white outline, things are just as, as they seem. It's very simple, but it's also very dynamic in the same sense because you're taking three dimensions and turning it into two dimensions. And when you see, like, for example, the first big thing that ever popped off from him. Um, Besides, I mean, he used to run a clothing brand called Classic. I don't know if anybody knows of that brand, um, but it was just like typically like an L.A. brand. But his first big thing that popped off was like a pair of Air Forces, right? I think it was like Air Forces or I think it was uh, Jordan 1s. Jordan 1s. Some typical Coke white shoe. And he had outlined the shit out of it. And when you look at it at a specific angle, it looks like a flat piece of paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people were freaking out like obviously like if you really look at it it's like i could do that but it's an idea that nobody had ever thought before because everybody's thinking about adding shit you know but nobody's ever thought about subtracting something from the shoe um in that way and making it like two-dimensional um first impressions on joshua i'm just gonna say joshua now um but sort of first impressions about like what he's doing his art and sort of how that impacts sort of like how we see things, you know, because it's, it's, it is completely different. Yeah. I mean, first impression, I think, I, I don't know. I think when discussing art, you kind of have to take a step back from that whole mentality of, oh, like anybody could do that. I think yeah. you have to kind of remove yourself from that because that's, that's Maybe not, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Basquiat. <laughs> Give me some paint. Give me like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but I think like when you look, I think that's besides the point of yeah. what art is, you know. Um, any, I feel like anyone anyone can paint if they really wanted to. If you really wanted to be good at painting, you could do it if you put in the work, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure we can all agree at that. Agreed. Yeah. Definitely agree. Right? Um, so I think first and foremost, we kind of have to remove ourselves from that sort of mentality. Um, my first impression is that I don't know. It was cool. I like the concept of turning reality and kind of dialing it back to an idea and how that translates. And like you said, from turning something 3D into 2D, like that's that's cool. Like it's a concept. I don't think traveling backwards is weird in the the art space. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's cool because I don't think we've seen anything like that. And to see something that's, you know, like streetwear related in that art space, is it's always pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a, a minimalist sort of perspective of streetwear is almost looked down upon sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. especially in the state that we're in now, it's, I want logos. I want colors. Um I want I want people to see the brand that I'm wearing. I'm not paying this much so people don't know what I'm wearing. You know what I mean? You almost kind of shun yourself when you purchase a really expensive blank T-shirt. You know what I mean? Like you th- you think of the quality in mind, but it, you hesitate because you could just go to your local Uniqlo or whatever to get that same color T-shirt. Like how often have you have you spent? I mean, Nate, you're wearing a black sweatshirt that has a mini logo on it, but it costs five times more than anybody else. Obviously, it's for free. But still, like, would you spend that money on that sweatshirt when it's just like a black hoodie? I don't think so. You know, what's funny is uh, for the longest time I was debating on whether I should get this black sweatshirt. I was <laughs> like, dude, is this even fucking worth it? It's a fucking hoodie. Yeah. You know, um, regardless of what brand, what logo is on it, like the material, like it's a hoodie at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, um. I don't know. It just, I don't think for me, at least I don't think it like, I I, I try to be more of a practical guy these days. <laughs> One, because I fucking like need to save money, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to save money. And two, because I have a lot of unnecessary shit. Um, I don't know. I think for me, like practicality just trumps all. Yeah. In terms of what I'm consuming, what I'm, what I enjoy. Yeah, like, I agree. Know? What do you think? Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're just talking about more like simplicity is sometimes intimidating just in terms of our purchasing power, the the decisions we make when it comes to money. Do you ever feel like that when it comes to like scaling it back to like, okay, maybe I don't need this like loud ass, like logo heavy article of clothing, but then do you justify it when you're purchasing like a $200 black hoodie versus I could just get any other black hoodie from anywhere else yeah um i definitely always think about like the the quality over quantity um just because i want to know that if i can wash this hoodie 10 times and it stays black (laughs) it's worth the money it's very rare for that to happen i'm struggling with that i have like you know 20 black hoodies and they're all (laughs) faded but um i feel like quality is always something that i look at just personally because that's how I justify it, you know? That's why I like Uniqlo. It's simple, and it is, like, it's kind of cheap, but the quality is there. Like, after a couple washes, it stays for intact. For how, for the lifespan that you need it to be there, right? Because, yeah. I mean, be I don't forever. think I own anything from Uniqlo that's lasted a year. I have these Really? <laughs> Damn, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe Uniqlo's doing something right then. But, yeah, I mean, this idea that, that Joshua has, essentially, of, like, scaling it back and providing that two-dimensional feel of basically like everything that you see everything that surrounds you is in some way shape or form it was an idea at some point and the way he expresses that through his art is really cool but to get into his newest endeavor is in line with the theme of today which is doing it yourself and sort of providing a space in what is now called side project a newest store that's opened up in los angeles taking over his most recent classic store it's really fucking weird. Not weird in like a bad way, but it's like, it's something that I've never seen before in terms of like a public 
retail space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You walk into this store, and I'm going to close your eyes, and I'm going to picture this for you. You walk into the store, you imagine the cleaners, <laughs> right? You see the clothes hanging, et cetera. But in the back of this store is an entire setup similar to any other you know, production, like streetwear production setup, which is silk screens, um, direct-to-garment heat presses, um, fucking cutting board, whatever the fuck you need to like start a brand, it's there. And basically, basically their concept is you, pl- you pay a, a rate and you have access to, I'll use this as an example, for $150 for 30 minutes, They'll assist you in designing a logo, whatever, designing whatever piece. You have an hour to choose your garments and and screen print on them. And then following that, you have a finished product. Like It's like your one-stop shop for your own personal streetwear line. And I feel like that's all that anybody's ever asked for in terms of like people coming up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fuck them having to buy all this equipment let me just go to the store and start my own street or line what do you what do you feel about that is is that in terms of experience the next thing for a lot of these people to essentially like get the ball rolling on is that what people are are is that what people want to pay for or do they just want to buy whatever their brand is making shit uh i think so uh it's a concept that like you said we haven't really seen it's 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 out there, but you almost have to piece it together yourself yeah. if you want to make your own brand. You know, you have to source your garments. Sometimes, like the printer already has them on hand. Yeah. Um, there's sometimes you know you have to go to a separate person to help with creative consulting, uh, and then you have to piece everything together. But I think having it as a one stop shop that's streetwear specific, yeah. I think is really cool. Um, I don't know. I just like it's out there, but it's more general. It's not specific to what what streetwear brands need yeah it's like it's like designated for the creative person yeah but also for the person that wants to make maybe make some money you know what i mean like you spend whatever amount of money to create these garments and you go out and you go sell them yourself and you make more money and that's the kind of like there's two sort of yeah there's two sort of dynamics in in going into the store but i think like we say like we're not going to retail stores anymore to shop, right? If we can buy that same thing online in the comfort of our own homes, we'd rather much do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm going to go into a store, I'm looking for an ambiance. <laughs> I'm looking for an experience. I'm looking to meet whoever the shop owner is. Like, that's why I'm going into those stores. And based off of your guys' experience, what has been notable stores that you've gone into just because they were doing some sort of cool initiative, some sort of cool pop-up? What is like? What stores come to mind when you think about that? Obviously, Nike SF. There, yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's a perfect example. Yeah. So, like, break down like like we've worked there for a couple of years, so we know the types of initiatives they ha- they have there. What's been like one of your favorites, and why? And you see a lot of people come in for it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the most recent one, like before I left, they had like the whole make your own Air Force. I forgot what it's called, but 
it's it like was, maker studio yeah the maker yeah. studio like that kind of ties into like what like joshua is doing you know um there was a lot of people who came in and like a lot of good ideas like that people put on their shoe so when a store gives you that creative outlet to kind of do whatever you want for x amount of time like no no strings or whatever like it's just free for all it gives like the consumer kind of like more buying power because mm. they're paying for that premium experience plus like they're getting a product that's like a one of one so any type of like event that was in store that makes you kind of feel like i made this and like people actually like it it makes you feel good i guess it covers all basis of what people need in their products right yeah. one of one is that exclusivity that makes people feel as if like if people fuck with my one of one i'm an influencer you know what i mean <laughs> like I, i'm popping now and it also, they're able to express themselves creatively as well as now I have this shoe that I really like regardless of what design is on it. And I have all three things now. And that makes people feel special about whatever it is that they're doing because everybody nowadays wants to be that very, like, thought leader. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's through their style, through what they say, through what they type, we want to be known for something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these are outlets for people to, like, make a name for themselves even if it's just like one pair of shoes there's people that make custom shoes one time and they're next you know next thing you know they're some big shit like what's uh, what store nate have you gone into recently like just like to experience something not even to buy something but like to experience something Uh, whether it's like a pop-up or just yeah 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 um honestly uh dover street market always does it for me yeah i think that's one of those one of those stores that always like checks all the boxes in terms of what i'm looking for in a store it's like the experience is sick the layout of the store is dope the staff are cool like the products that they carry are in line with what i like um that like that store i think is just i don't it's like top tier for me yeah um I don't know what it is. I just think that every time I go there, it's it's so enjoyable, whether I'm just walking around and not, like, I don't have to talk to anybody, don't have to talk to the staff, just walk around and, like, appreciate everything, I think. Um, it's kind of what and it's it different every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we went there to New York. Uh, from the span that we went to, to two New York trips, it yeah. was about... About a year, actually. About a year. Yeah, apart. Obviously, it's going to change. But, like, even within the span of two weeks, it'll, yeah. it'll completely change with new initiatives, et cetera. Um, my favorite one, speaking on Dover Street Market in at New York, is uh, Cactus Plant Flea Market had a their own little pop up inside of Dover Street in collaboration with Human Made, and they designed the entire miniature pop up, which is no bigger than my my fucking apartment, and you literally had to wear 3D glasses to enjoy it. Yeah. So they handed out a pair of 3D glasses, and you looked around, and you and, and um, it looked all crazy or whatever. And then we asked them like, yo, like, what is this? Right? Like, what's the inspiration behind this? And they said like, oh, like there's this really famous Indian restaurant here in New York that inspired this complete collection or, or inspiration for this pop-up. So what do I do? I, I go to the fucking Indian restaurant <laughs> and, I, and literally the entire every ceiling walls was filled with this, like these, uh, Christmas lights. Yeah. And it felt like you were like experiencing that when you're in the pop up, and I'm sold. I bought a hat. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a twenty dollars. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm gonna buy something. But yeah, I mean, 
experience is somewhat tied to this do-it-yourself movement. And I feel like DIYers do it the best when it comes to like building something around their product, their service, whatever. I mean, look at like every, even like these top tier brands now, like a Warby Parker, it's an experience when you go in there because you get to try on every glasses. Shit, you could call them to send glasses to your house to try them on. And you would think like, is this stealing? Like I literally just jokes these people for like three pairs of glasses and they don't have to, like, I don't have to return them if I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like every store is about that now. So that experience, like we always talk about is key for brick and mortar stores, retail stores. How do you think they, they can do that for online stores? What is an experience online? I don't know. It's a bit tricky with online. Cause when I'm shopping online, I'm like, all right, Where's the shit that I want? <laughs> yeah. Check out. Filter. Cool. Lowest price. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes I, th- I think that makes sense. And uh, in regards to what Joshua is doing with the side project, obviously the focus is come in store, touch the products, talk to the people, understand what a, what what brand identity or what your brand is, screen print your one of one, go about your way, and now you have clothing for your brand. Um I personally think that what they're doing is amazing. I used to have this thought like years back and I'm so mad that I never like actually saw it forward. But one of the ideas that I've always wanted to do is create a fire design for a shirt. But when you're the customers ordering it from the online store, they could choose what color shirt they want. And it's not that I already like have the shirts printed out. It's just they get to choose. I don't just throw at them two different designs and colorways. They choose what they like, and then I print following it. It's always been something that's always been in my head, but now everyone's been doing it, so it's like it doesn't make sense. Um, (laughs) But, like, alongside him, there's a a ton of other people that have been doing this shit too, right? Like, Mike Sherman of Chinatown Market does the same shit. Like, do you see how fast they produce Chinatown Market merch based around whatever fucking cultural event that's happened, you know? Like... Every second they're putting out something new. But what are the, what's the negative aspects of being so do-it-yourself, being so reactive to what people want? What's like a, a downside to, to, to that business model or to that aspect of a store? I think it's like it's too fast. There's mm. too many trends at once. And once like one trend dies down, how can you keep up? You know, Now you have like all this product that people don't want because they want the next best thing. Yeah. I I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish as a brand. If you're a brand that's out there to, you know, promote your own story, promote your own narrative, I think it's hard to be reactive because then you're kind of diluting your brand message. But I think in the cases like Chinatown Market, if you were just kind of, I mean, we talk about it all the time, like Mike Sherman's just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I don't want to do this to make money. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, depending on what you're in it for. Yeah, then go for it. Um, So I think in that case... It really depends on what you're what you're trying to do, you know. What your purpose is as a brand. Exactly. You know, yeah. what you're what you're in it for. And yeah, you make a good point. Like there's a lot of people within this industry that are in it for different reasons. And that's not to say that your reason of doing it is bad or wrong or the right way or the wrong way. It just depends on what you want out of this, you know? Like for us, it's not that we want anything out of streetwear. We just love talking about it. Like we have natural conversations about the day-to-day drama or topics or 
um, whatever news that streetwear brings to the table and we just like discussing it. Yeah. It's not that we were like, and I don't know who the fuck does this, but yeah, I want to start a podcast to make money. Bullshit. You're going to make money off of a podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're doing I'm stuff. <laughs> Flex. I mean, we out here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, DIY culture is very important and I, and I'm going to start first, but then you guys go next. Would you recommend for an up and coming brand owner to sort of just dive in, learn the processes themselves, make mistakes, lose money, um, and go about it in that approach when it comes to either starting a brand, starting a craft, would you guys suggest that? Or is there a smarter way to, to, to get into that, into this industry? Uh, I, th- I thought you were going to answer. Right, I just I, did. I, oh, okay, my <laughs> bad, my bad. Um, I think so. I think as someone who wants to start something, whether it's a brand with whatever it may be, like, I think sometimes you just have to, you just have to dive right in and just get to it, you know, like, and I think, like you said, like making mistakes, I think that's important. Losing money, like I'm not saying that's important, but it's going to happen. I think eventually <laughs> I just think that's the natural path of being a creative, being like someone who wants to do their own thing, be their own boss. I think that's just the natural progression of it. There's always going to be times where you're going to take an L. That's just the way it goes. There are plenty of times, I think, in the podcast with like events, like throwing events, stuff like that. It always hasn't been 100% successful. Or like we didn't hit the bar that we wanted. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's just, you know, you just kind of have to accept that. And I think that as a creative, as an entrepreneur, I think that just, that only, that can only help you grow, you know? Agree. What do you think, Mel? Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to know the process. Um, like you just, like you don't take L's, you just learn lessons basically. And if you don't improve from what you're doing, then how are you staying true to your brand? Like you need to know the ins and outs and you know, like, okay, well next season I know what to do better. And if you just jump into it, like it's kind of just, you grow from that as a person as well. And people who like your stuff, like they're gonna like follow your path and they're gonna see that progression and then you're gonna grow from there like with your uh, your fan base as well. I agree with that. Doing it yourself is literally doing it yourself. And if you attach that narrative to a Mike Sherman, a Sean Weatherspoon, a Joshua V, That is what they do. And you've seen them have brands before that have obviously failed or they decide to take on new projects because you have to adapt within this climate of streetwear. I can only name maybe like two or three brands that have gone through every maybe like three different decades of of streetwear and have still remained within the top spot to, to stay relevant. So I guess the advice that we're, we're giving a young kid who's starting a brand if you have an established brand or if you're thinking about becoming a creative in any some sense of the word, just start something (laughs) like, I feel like that's the simplest way to put things because if you listen to these interviews, not our interviews, but if you listen to the interviews of your favorite brand designers, they're all going to tell you the same thing. It's we just decided to do something that felt right. And that's all you really can do at the end of the day. This podcast came as natural as shit because this conversation that the three of us are having and what we've done with guests is the shit that we were doing before the mics were even in front of our faces. You know what I mean? 
And it doesn't change when the mics are in front of our faces. I mean, our voices change a little bit. We, we pronounce words a little bit better. Some of us slur words a little <laughs> bit more. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's very natural um, as a person to chase after what it is that inspires you and what you're passionate about. So, I mean, I think we could all agree that if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing that thing, just fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, 100%. Yeah. We all start somewhere. Exactly, exactly. And I think on that note, I think that's what I, where I want to end it just because it is something that I want to keep very short and sweet because following all your favorite influencers, they all start from somewhere. And I think that's what our golden nugget is for this episode. So be sure to follow us at No Chance Radio on all platforms. I know a lot of you brand people fucking outside people have been reaching out to us and we really really appreciate that uh you guys have been giving us good questions and starting great conversations so please reach out to us anytime you have a question about a certain thing um and we'll be sure to answer it in a very timely manner (laughs) some of us have day jobs so it's a little bit harder but on that note we'll catch you next week peace later